All right, we have a lot to do this morning. Everything's messed up, so here's what we're going to do. The last hour was Canons of Dort, but obviously it tied into Romans, right? Because we have stumbled upon the problem. So I'm going to state the problem again. We're going to look at a lot of cross-references. I wanted to jump right back into Romans 2, but we're not going to really be able to do that because, we, because if we do that, we're going to have to put the problem aside and wait till next week. And once the problem starts, it's just better to kind of work it through. Does that, does that make sense? Everybody agree with that? All right. So let's, let's work on this. Okay. In the Canons of Dort, we came across a section, an article, that dealt with what issue? Assurance of election, right? Or we could state it another way, assurance of Salvation, And I asked a very simplistic question. What is the basis of our assurance? Right? Okay. Now, I, I was building this case because I knew what was coming in Romans 2. And everyone else here should have knew what was coming in Romans 2 because I've told you how to read it, read it, read it, read it. So everybody should have seen where we were headed, okay? So, when we came down to trying to figure out what is the basis of our assurance of salvation, we wrote down a number of options that people may give. What was option number one? Okay, based off a decision. Know the day, know the hour that you said the prayer, that you walked the aisle. Always remember that. When you question your salvation, right? Or some will say, if the devil starts questioning your salvation, you remind him of the day and of the hour that you said the prayer, you walked the aisle, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. All right? Know that day and hour. Right? Whenever doubts, whenever doubts come after you, remember that. And some pastors will even say, write the day and the hour in the front of your Bible so that you know it because it's, your, it's the assurance of your salvation. All right? Second option some people would give. Right. Someone put down baptism. Some people will say, I was baptized when I was a baby, or I was baptized. Now, to be fair with that, no real system of theology teaches that. Agreed? Because most, most denominations that teach baptism as a part of salvation, they also teach what with that? You can lose it. Therefore, baptism would not be the basis of your salvation, or, or assurance of your salvation. All right? Number three. Finished work of Christ. There are those who would say, how do I know I'm saved? Not because of what I do, not because of what I don't do, but because of what Christ did. Now, many who say that will then demonstrate a contradiction, will they not? Because when they look at someone else, they're like, well, look at the way they live. They can't be saved. So therefore, they're not making the basis what? On the finished work of Christ, they're making it based on what someone does it doesn't do, right? The fourth option is what? Proof, evidence, fruit, right? You, the, your your assur- assurance of salvation, it comes from be, being able to look at your life and going, look, I've got enough evidence, I've got enough pr- fruit, I've got enough works to demonstrate that I am saved, all right? Those are the four basic approaches, uh, right? Agreed? You get outside of those, yeah, you're getting into no man's land and you're starting to make up stuff. Okay, now, why did we bring this up? Well, we brought this up for a couple of reasons. The canons of Dort gives us one, that gives us infallible fruit, using their language, that there should be infallible fruit in your life 
that demonstrates whether you are saved or unsaved. All right? So we, we want to question that. Second, Romans chapter 2. All right? Romans chapter 2. Now, in Romans chapter 2, we are dealing with a contrast between the way, man's judgment and man's judgment is what? Flawed. God, on the other hand, he judges, right? There's two ways, at least we see, that he judges. What, uh, how does he judge according to verse 2? Verse 2. According to truth. Right? Now, we haven't studied that one, but he judges according to truth. Right? And what's the next way he judges? According to verse 6. He will render to every man according to his deeds. All right? All right? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. That makes it pretty clear. How is God going to judge? According to deeds. And how does it work? Let me read it again. To whom by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Those who do that, eternal life. However, but, in contrast, unto them that are continuous and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man, and doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. He's drawing a contrast. Based off what? Deeds. Works. That's Paul saying this. Agreed? All right. So, I said we need to do some cross-references. Let's go through the cross-references again. All right. What was the first passage? Let's turn back to it. I know we looked at it in the last hour, but it's not going to hurt to look at it again. I know that y'all look at something once and you have it memorized for the rest of your life. Okay? So I probably don't need to, we probably don't need to look at it again, but there may be, you know, you know, Joel or Eli, they probably don't remember things as well as all of you adults. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 12. So I'm going to start doing, I'm going to have Joel and Eli read every passage we look up. All right, here we go. Psalm 62, 12. All right, here we go. Uh, and unto them, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his, according to his work. According to his work. All right? Now, again, that's, that's, that's clearly taught. Is Agreed? All right. Now, how, how, we, how we understand this raises lots of questions, but we'll, we'll get to it. Next, Matthew 16, 27. Want to make sure we know who is teaching in Matthew 16, 27? Jesus. Okay, I want to make sure we get that clear because uh, some hermeneutical approaches people were taking, you know, was trying to almost like like Jesus did, you know. Jesus didn't quite know everything. I don't know I don't know what the approach was, but we have to do make sure Jesus is teaching, so we would argue all scripture is authoritative, but I think we would all agree that Jesus words are very authoritative as well. Agreed? 
All right, and what does he say? All right, let's go back to verse 27. Or verse 27. Or yes, 27 is the, ver- the verse we want to look at. All right, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. All right. Every man according to his works. Every man. All right. Agreed? All right. Now, let's hang on. I'm going to look at something. Yeah, it's a weird cross-reference. Okay. I was saying if they are. Does anybody have a different cross-reference for uh, on Matthew 16, 27? Does your Bible offer a cross-reference? Does anybody's Bible offer a cross-reference for verse 27? No? Do what? Romans 2.6. Okay. All right. Roman. And we all know Romans 2.6. It will judge according to deeds. According to deeds. Okay. All right. Go to uh, John Right, John chapter 5, we'll go to verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Now this is final, this is final judgment, right? Yes? Okay. And what's going to happen? And shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Everybody see that? All right. Again, what is this implying? Judgment will be based off works. Judgment will be based off works. Anybody got cross-references for John 5? Again, who's teaching in John 5? Jesus, all right? And nobody have any cross-references here? Okay. Uh, you keep that one ready. I'm going to go with, uh, through some of the ones I have here for this um, I have Daniel chapter 12. Okay, I, I knew Daniel had to pop up somewhere here. Okay, we'll go to Daniel first. All right. Now, Daniel chapter twelve, verse one. Now, this 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 one is hard. This you know, this one's hard to even know what's going on. Okay, so I'm not going to even pretend here. Daniel twelve one. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book, and many of them that sleep. Uh, and the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, that doesn't give us much information, but why it's a cross-reference is many believe Jesus is borrowing from that language and making reference to it in John chapter 5, where he now gives us not just the reality of judgment, he gives us the basis of that judgment. Which is what? Who gets everlasting life? Who gets eternal damnation? Those who do evil. All right. What other cross-reference did you have? 
First Thessalonians 4. Okay. First Thessalonians 4. I can get to First Thess Thessalonians. Here we go. You said 4 verses what? 15 through 17. All right. For this way we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, angel with the trump of God and the dead and Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain and, uh, remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord to meet the Lord and the Lord in the air. So we shall ever be with the Lord. Oh, whoever comfort one another, wherefore comfort one another with these words. All right, it doesn't give us much, not a lot of help there. All right, so John 5 and Daniel 12 are probably the two that many believe that's what Jesus is referencing because the Jews would have known the Daniel passage. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Second Corinthians five ten. Everybody there? Second Corinthians five ten. Everybody say amen. All right, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, make sure we understand. Some will argue, well, we won't even get, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later, right? Uh, go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Now, okay, this is after the entire Bible is done, all the teaching of the Bible, right? All the, the Bible's been taught because... Because sometimes there's an argument like, well, this passage is before this was taught, so then that comes. This is after everything's been taught. Revelation chapter 20, and what do we have here? Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from, the, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead... Um, Small and great stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their according to their works, right? And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. All right? Uh, Revelation twenty two twelve. Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his works shall be. Revelation twenty two twelve. The book of Revelation ends with judgment according to what works. It's an Old Testament idea. It's a gospel idea. It's the end of the Bible idea. It is the biblical idea that judgment is according to works. Alright? Everyone got that? Okay. There's no way to get around it. Okay. So, what we have to do, listen carefully, is we have to now Figure this out. Now, here, now, D, I want to make sure we draw this. Does everyone see the connection? What's the question I gave everyone? What is the basis of your assurance? 
I gave you a, a list of things people say. This concept has to fit with the basis of your assurance. Because if I'm going to be judged according to my works, then what must be the basis of my assurance? My works. Period. If I'm going to be judged according to my works, then the only way to know if I'm going to pass that judgment is to judge my works. All right? You can say, no, 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 no. My assurance is, is the cross of Christ. You can say that, but if your judgment is based off your works, then you've got to be able to do that. All right? So everybody got the problem? Everybody see the reality of the problem? Right? Is that only one verse that teaches it? No, multiple verses. Okay, let's go through. Just in the New Testament, we have Jesus teaching it. We have Paul teaching it. We have John teaching it. We didn't even go through all the cross-references, but I get, we could probably find even more to teach it. Agreed? All right, that's a pretty good... Uh, if you got Paul... Hey, you got, you've got Jesus, Paul, and John. You've got pretty much the New Testament. Agreed? Yes? Okay, all right. So, we have to draw, we have to try to figure this out. All right, so, first, let me, the first thing I want to do in trying to answer this problem, everybody see the problem? What's the basis of my assurance? Well, the basis of my assurance appears to have to be my works based off the fact that judgment is according to works. Now, what we have to do is try to figure this out. Let me make it very clear. I want to just if we if you don't get anything from this morning, what I want to do first of all is prevent you from using horrible hermeneutics, all right? This is what my Catholic professors in Catholic university mocked Protestants for, right? Protestants that his argument was we don't know how to do hermeneutics and we should just stop um, and it's embarrassing. Okay, well, that that makes me mad. But in some ways, I can't argue with him because when you listen to Protestants start trying to answer these questions, they immediately demonstrate they don't know hermeneutics. Okay. That shouldn't be the case. And, his, and you understand why he can mock all of you for that. Because you all claim this is the final authority. You're the ones who want, you know, Protestants are the ones who all wanted a copy of it, right? Because you were going to read it and you were going to treasure it and you were going to study it. And I didn't need to go to church to hear some priest tell me what was in it because I have it. Well, if you claim that, then you should know it better than any Catholic priest. Right? The average Catholic doesn't have to know it because they just say, I'll just rely on who? The church. According to your perspective, you don't even rely on me. Right? Because I don't have any authority to get. I can tell you right now what I think the answer is, and if you don't like it, what, you, what are you going to do? It's going to go with your perspective. So sometimes when y'all say, I, we want, you want me to give the answer, why do you want me to give the answer? You're the Protestant. You come up with the answer. Because you believe you have the authority, Right? I know when I raise those questions, it makes Protestants mad, but you, you're the one who claims that position. You've got to live that position out. Does that make sense? All right, so here's what we got to do. We have to eliminate bad hermeneutics at this point. All right? We have to eliminate bad hermeneutics. So when in the last hour, when I gave everyone a chance to try to answer this question, I heard some horrible hermeneutics, okay? Horrible. This seemed to be the way to go. Well, those say we're judged according to works, but I know this. 
My presupposition tells me that my salvation is based off Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, but the finished work of Christ alone, a lot of the loans, so that cancels out what Jesus said about judgment. Does everyone understand that that's not hermeneutics? What is that? That's you just simply picking what you, which is what the Catholic priest says we do. You find the verses you like, and you cancel out the ones you don't like. That's not, that's not Bible, that's, that, you can't do that, right? You, you don't read a novel that way. Okay, I, I doubt anyone here, maybe Sarah did, maybe. Did, did anyone actually read Romeo and Juliet? Actually read the book? Okay, I hope, okay, I hope that people liked Romeo and Juliet. Okay, I hope the characters, I hope Shakespeare gave you enough reason to go, man, I feel bad for these kids, right? The families are fighting each other, they can't be together, man, this is horrible, I feel bad for them. Okay, you can't get to the end and when they, when they commit suicide and die, you go, oh, oh, I don't accept that. They really got married and lived heaven. You don't get to do that. Okay? You don't get to, well, Jesus said judgments according to works. I don't like that, so Jesus is wrong. Because, because there's a verse over here that says, I am saved by grace alone through faith alone, not by works. Therefore, Jesus is wrong and I'm right. Now, you don't say it that way, but that's what you're claiming. You're claiming Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. I, I, this is, this, I'm going to make this as blunt as I can. If your hermeneutic is to tell me Jesus was wrong, I'm going to tell you your hermeneutic is wrong, okay? Because I think Jesus probably understood this better than all of us. Agreed? All right, so we have to figure this out. All right, so does everybody understand that? The hermeneutic can't go that direction. Now, here, now however, I will give you the privilege of doing this. Now, here's your opportunity Right? Now, we tried this on Wednesday, and it didn't work out so good. So here's your opportunity. Give me every verse that you can come up with right now that you think offers a different perspective and all these verses that we're being judged according to our works. All right, Romans 3.20. Now, okay, we'll see if this offers a different perspective. Right, this is your opportunity. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this clearly seems to say that no, what we will not be justified in his sight based off what? Deeds. Wait, we're going to be judged by our deeds, but we're not going to be justified by our deeds. Does that seem contradictory? Everyone has to say it seems contradictory, okay? I know you don't like to use those terms, but you have to acknowledge it, all right? Another verse. Some of your Bibles will give you a cross-reference to Romans 3.20. That's a good way to find you some other verses. Okay, well, you don't have a good... All right, so... At least you gave one. Seth's given his one, so now everybody has their opportunity. Oh, come on. Everyone should go with the most obvious one. 
Hey, there we go. Thank you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Everyone should go to that one. All right. What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? Let's read it. Okay. I'll make sure we get it perfectly. Okay. She's got the basic idea there, but let's make sure we... There we go. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, I will argue the gift of God there is your faith. Okay. Um, Pelagians don't believe that, but that's okay. I think they're wrong. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This argues that our salvation is not based off works. It's based off grace and faith. All right, next. Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16. Knowing knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. All right, now stop right there. Okay, that proves we don't need any more. That's, that, those, those probably resolve at least. They, those are off for a counter. Agreed? So we got, two, we got two perspectives, do we not? What's perspective number one? Or not, no, let's not go with two perspectives. We have two realities. Agreed? What are these two realities? Reality number one is how is the final judgment going to be based off of? Final judgment is going to be based off? Works. Final judgment is going to be based off of works. Final judgment is going to be based off of works. Everybody got that? Yes? No? Okay. Second issue, our second reality, is that the Bible seems to indicate relatively clear that our salvation is not based off works. All right. Now, this is the, the part. Now, here, now I'm going to make a lot of Protestants mad, but I don't care. I don't care because um, I can't stand the Protestant answers in some cases. This is where I respect Catholicism. Because Catholicism embraces this duality and tries to find a way to answer it. It's convoluted and complicated at times, but they try. Because they argue that the initial part is by grace. Right? Baptism is not a work you do. It's a work God does. They're like, what's a better sign of grace than you sprinkling a baby and its original sin being washed away and it's infused with righteousness? Can you come up with a better example of grace alone through faith alone? They're like, that's it. Right? So they're like, the the sacraments, these are all works of God, visible means in which he imparts grace to you, right? And then they, they talk penance, uh, go, going to confession. There's all these ways to, to God is pouring into you to maintain it. But they argue there's too many verses that talk about 
works. Therefore, works has to come into play. So they argue, it starts by grace. We have to cooperate with that grace, or we can ultimately lose it. And, and, and now, I, again, it's convoluted. I'm not going to deny it's convoluted. But it's at least trying to embrace what? The realities. And you're like, well, how could... Because sometimes I've had people go... Because sometimes this is how uh, Protestants will say this. Well, when you read the Bible, it's so simple, I don't understand why these Catholics are all confused. No. No. Okay. No. The Bible is not as simple as you pretend. Did we just not figure out how complicated it is? We got two realities, right? Okay. Catholicism is convoluted, but at least it's embracing the duality. Protestants deny the, the problem. Or they come up with a very overly simplistic answer. Again, what's, what, did, what was the quote I gave at the beginning of the first hour? Truth is like what? The sun. The closer you get to it, the more it blinds you. When you're three miles away, it looks good. Right? It looks good. We have to not stay three miles away. I'm trying to bring you close. Through the years, I've given you lots of simplistic answers. But I keep trying to argue that at some point, all of you have to stop being milk Christians and being meat Christians. And meat Christians don't want easy answers. So, what, how do we reconcile this? So, do, do everyone agree we seem to have two very important realities? What are the two realities? Let's state them clearly. Okay, however, based on works. Now, James would argue that it is. Agreed? Anybody find the uh, place in James where it says we're not saved according to faith alone? Everyone, every Protestant should know it. Sarah should know it. She listens to Catholic radio because I bet you it's quoted quite frequently. Okay. Every time a Protestant calls in... Okay. I'll just I'll I'll take you to it. James too. Uh, uh, Stephen was close. He he got us to the section. James two, starting verse seventeen or verse eighteen. Um, we could go even further back. We'll start in eighteen. Yea, a man may say, thou, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou but will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by? Okay, read that again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Okay, let me let me read that again. Everyone's having a problem restating it. Was not Abraham our father justified by? Okay. Okay. Everyone, I need everyone, okay? Right. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now right there you should stop. Exactly. And I think Paul will argue that Abraham was justified by faith. 
James says he wasn't. Was not Abraham our father justified for works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? In other words, James makes an argument you need both. You need both, is what, and that's what the Catholic Church would argue. Right? Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, he takes the argument, because many will say, hey, Abraham believed and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, where we get the doctrine of imputation, and he comes along and goes, no, 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 no. He was not imputed until what two came together? Faith and works. Then he was imputed. They will argue he was not imputed until what? Until he offered up Isaac. Until before then he wasn't, he wasn't declared righteous. That's a, that's a big claim, is it not? I mean, is that not what the text says? Am I misreading it? And the scripture was fulfilled. And the scripture was fulfilled. When was it fulfilled? Verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. It was fulfilled when the two came together. Next verse. You, ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith. Only. All right? Now, I think it's funny because we always say we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And Sarah knows this from Catholic Radio. They will always ask the Protestant, where's the verse that says we're saved by grace alone through faith alone? And they can't find one that uses the word alone. And then they bring up James where it says only. (laughs) And it says not by faith only. It's hilarious when this conversation ensues. And then the Protestants are just stumbling all over the place trying to come up with an answer, and they don't, they don't really have an answer. And it's always embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing. But, but as Protestants are so arrogant thinking Catholics are dumb, they end up looking really foolish because they don't have it to do. So we have to put all this. Does this not seem to go against the other things that we just read? All right, so let's put down. We have, we have a couple of realities. What's our first reality we've looked at? Judgment will be according to works, however. However, we have two other realities. What are they? We have passages that say that we are not saved by works, but we have a passage that seems to indicate (laughs) that works is very much a part of it. We have this duality that we have to get through. All right? So, now, what do we want at this point? What do we want right now? We want answers. Right? We want answers. Okay. Now, let's go. No, we, I don't know if we really want truth. Okay. okay. We think we do, but we don't. Okay. All right. Or the famous movie line, you can't handle the truth. Okay, right? Okay, so, okay, obviously, you know, but sometimes I don't think we can. All right. So, here's what our options are. Let's go through them. What's option number one? Now, come on, these, these, 
These realities have been in your Bible since you bought one, okay, or since someone gave you one. I'm not the first one to point out these realities. These realities have been struggled with for the the entirety of Christian Christendom. Okay, okay. Let's go with option number one. It's, it's, it's not acceptable by most Christians, but we'll say it. Bobby didn't state it this way, but I'll, I'll use his words to get me here. There's a contradiction. <clears throat> now, I know we don't accept that as a possibility, but we'll at least throw it down, right? I mean, because some would read that and go, what, what are you talking about? You can't. Which one is it? Right? <clears throat> Number two. What's the second option? What's the second option? Okay. All right, he's going with the more standard Protestant one, but we'll go with it. Okay. Uh, The standard Protestant answer is, I am not saved by my works, but my works prove that I am saved. That's the general Protestant answer. Works don't save me. Works prove that I am saved. Everyone loves that answer. Protestants love that answer. But they love that answer from where? Far away. Because when we get close to that, then what are the questions that should arrive from number two? No, number two. Number one, it's a contradiction. Okay. Right. Now it gets down to, wait a minute, because now, because I, it's just, we, remember we've talked about this countless times, right? We say, because it, it, it almost like we're contradicting ourselves. Okay, hey, Bobby's not saved by works, but his works will prove that he's saved. Therefore, if Bobby doesn't have works, He's not saved, therefore making works unnecessary. So therefore, so how is he saved? Well, he's not saved by faith if I'm going to argue that works is the proof of his salvation because if he doesn't, his faith... His faith is irrelevant at that point. He can have all the faith in the world, but if I come and go, wait a minute, Bobby, uh, here's the 12... Okay, well, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But you see how it's a big circle, right? Hey, he's saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But if he's truly saved, his works will prove that he's saved. Therefore, if he doesn't have those works, he's not saved. Therefore, making works mandatory for salvation. Even the, you, can, you can try to reword it all. all you can try, try all the little Protestant tricks. I'm still saying what is required for him to be saved. Works. Well, we'll have to get there in a minute, in a minute as well. I just want to make sure that when we say that, we realize that we're kind of we're kind of putting ourselves in circular reasoning. Right? Hey, Bobby is saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, comma, you must have works, and if he doesn't have works, he's not saved. Therefore, works are a requirement. For salvation. You see how the circular reasoning goes? Now, when, if I stay out of the circle, it looks good, right? 
Hey, pastor, because when you're, when, I mean, when I asked this question as a teenager, hey, I'm confused. Uh, and I asked everyone this question I could find. The Bible seems to imply that I'm going to be judged my, by my works. James says that I'm not saved by faith alone. Um, other passages says I am justified by works. And then the Protestant pastor would say, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, if you're truly saved, you'll have works. And then and, and they would all walk away like with a little like confident smile. Like I answered that question and I'd be sitting there going, what, what school of logic did you graduate from? That's circular reasoning. I'm, I'm in a circle. You see, you, um, we could get into all the logical fallacies. We should have Sarah teach us the logical fallacies, right? You have them all down, right? Okay. Joel has the logical fallacies down. I should have Joel come up here. Remember, I'm going to get a whiteboard. Joel's going to be the one who's going to write everything on the board for now on. Okay, all right. <clears throat> so when you talk about these logical fallacies, most Christians don't even know logical fallacies, fallacies exist, which blows my mind. Okay, because if when you're making listen, when you're making dogmatic claims of truth, you need to know logical fallacies exist. All right, that, that seems to be a requirement. You're getting yourself in a big circle. Think this is how it works. I reject salvation by works. I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Now I'm going to step in this circle, and when I get in this circle, I'm literally denying what I just said. Because you're claiming faith alone is not sufficient. You're claiming faith must produce Works And without the works, I'm not saved. Does that make sense? You see the circle? Right, you see the circle? Oh, absolutely. Don't listen to rock and roll, right, right, ever. And so then we even create what the works are. Yeah, we... we So in that case, God d- defines the work. Right. This becomes a different problem. Right. So let's go through these. Option number one was what? There's a contradiction. Option two is the Protestant answer. And the Protestant answer is what? You're not saved by works, but works prove your salvation. Right? What would be a third option? What would be a third option? Oh, come on, everyone's got to know the third option. All right, basically the Catholic answer. Both are required. Some kind of a merger of the two. Right? I mean, you, you can't deny that that's not a possible option considering, a, you know, a Christianity for a long time taught that. That was the answer. Agreed? It was the Protestant Reformation. It was like, no, no, we reject that. Okay, All right. for a long time, if we went back in time and, and we said, oh, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not, not, not by works, I guarantee you there would have been some Christians in the past who would have been like, what? You're like, it's right there in the Bible, and then, right? Because I know the Bible better than you, okay? All you church fathers, you're all morons, okay? Because I... I, I read the Bible one time through, and I know it better. It's just the arrogance of some Protestants blow my mind sometimes. Okay, but, all right. So, those, would you agree those are the three basic systems? All right, so, 
Let's work on some possible answers. Right? right? You ready? Ooh, I'm going to say possible answers. Are you shocked? Okay, are you shocked? Okay. Now, this one is a big one. And this one does not fix the problem. Okay, but it at least allows for a certain way of, of, of getting at Now, this creates more problems. Okay? Remember, every answer creates more questions. But let's go through this. The possibility, all right, I'm going to put this down. Possible solution number one. And this doesn't fix everything. Remember, this is going to be a, a systematic build, right? Option number one, the possibility that there are more that there is more than one judgment. The possibility that there is more than one judgment. Does anybody now from all some of you, Mr. Goodlett may remember, those from the independent fundamental Baptist background and dispensational background they should be ready to throw out an answer relatively quick. In the dispensational system, independent fundamental Baptist system and many of the Protestant systems, about how many judgments are there? Okay, at least two. Okay, what two would there, they, those be? Okay. Okay, and you say the judgment seat of Christ is for whom? Believers and the great white throne? Oh, okay, unbelievers. Agreed? Some would draw that distinction, right? Some. Now, it doesn't completely work perfectly because in Revelation it seems to imply some are going to heaven. Agreed? Yes? Okay, so, but there's this potential that there's two judgments, at least two. Some would go three. You have the judgment of nations determining who goes into the millennial kingdom. And Matthew, that weird, like, you know, how, how do they enter into the kingdom? Based on what they did to... Israel, okay, that one's a possibility, right? That's a judgment, and that's based off works, but what's it determining? Millennial kingdom is what it's determining, okay? All right, that, that would, would rectify some problems, okay? What would be a, a second judgment, a judgment for believers? How do most Christians understand a judgment for believers? What does it determine? Rewards, it does not determine salvation, and some believe that's what Paul is referencing in Corinthians. Right? That, hey, if your, your works are either going to burn up, right? And if they burn up, though, he doesn't apply that the person is lost, but they just have no, all their works were burnt up because their works were worthless. Okay? Now, that would take care of a lot, right? You'd be judged according to your works, but that's not a judgment according to salvation. That's a judgment according to Works. Now, and when you have multiple judgments, judgment to the unbeliever according to works would make perfect sense. Agreed? Because now this is where Brenda and what some of you were trying to say, this is where that would come into play. Because the lost person can be judged according to their works because their works are not covered by the blood of Christ. So that, now that doesn't resolve everything, right? If you, can, if you can work out how many judgments there are and then try to figure out, okay, this judgment's for this, this judgment, that would rectify some of it. Now the problem is Daniel, Jesus, and Revelation, well, you could argue maybe Revelation hints at it. Jesus doesn't seem to hint at multiple judgments. But, 
Yeah. Exactly. So if I die and go straight to heaven, who's coming out of the grave to be... Ju- right? How, how does this work, right? Like, there's a lot of... And then in Revelation, you have people being called up from hell or the grave. Like, how does this... There's lots of let judgment language. If we can figure out a discrepancy, then it would make sense, right? Yes? Because ju- judgment and works would make sense. If I'm going to be judged according to my works to determine a reward, then I can be judged by works all day because it would have nothing to do with my salvation, which is dependent upon what? Finished work of Christ. Does that make sense? My reward would determine my reward and what I do. Does that make sense? Now, so, now many, especially in the reform world, they hate that concept because they're like all rewards should be because of the finished work of Christ. Okay, but now, well, wait a minute. Then, 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 how, then how does the judgment of works come in? Like you can't just, I don't like that, so I accept the other. I can accept my reward is based off what I do far more than I accept my salvation is based off what I do. Does that make sense? So that's a possible answer. That doesn't resolve it all. That doesn't resolve it all, but it at least offers an opportunity for some answer. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? All right, now we're going to have to stop because we're out of time. So what do we need to look at? We need to look at the views of different judgments. All right? We need to look at what the different views on judgment. How many, now we've talked about it before. Now, if you have those notes, this would be a good time to find them. Okay, not right now, but, you know, today. And then we need to try to determine how many possible judgments do Christians teach or have been taught in church history. Because if, if we have multiple, I mean, I think some people have up to six or seven. Okay, if we can break down enough judgments, we may have at least a plausible solution. If we reduce it to just one, you're even you're in you're in a further difficulty, agreed? Yes? If there's only one, then I'm stuck. Right? So, this is a possibility. Well, I don't have a good answer, but I'm going to throw that one out as one to start working on to see what we can come up with, All right? There's there's still some other answers, but we'll we'll go with that, all right? So, we'll stop right there. Everybody good? So, you got something to work on. You can hop on Google, right? How many judgments are there? You'll get 50 different articles with 9,000 different answers, but start looking at the, what people... You don't have to agree with them. Just look at... If they give you a list, just write down, just write down what they call it and write down their scripture reference and have those ready, okay? Just, just write down what they call the judgment and the scripture reference. Let's see if we can have four or five, at least four or five. Because if we, can, if we can distinguish possibly, as Sarah said, possibly at least two, if we even can identify, the, I think there's at least three. I think the judgment of the nations has to be interpreted different, has to be interpreted different than the others. So see what you can find, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, tonight. All right? Sound good? All right, we're getting there. What's the one thing we have to avoid? Bad hermeneutics. We can't just Wait! This cancels all of this out. Now, we, we have to try to bring this duality together, and we've got to embrace the uncomfortableness of it. All right? All right? Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that everyone here will be motivated to look into these things, to try to find some answers. And Lord, I pray that whatever answer we do arrive at, that it's the answer that we were the most faithful to your scriptures and finding. If we're not being faithful to your scripture, I pray that we don't accept it as an answer and that we are willing to 
not just to deny these realities or stay far from the truth, but come right up close to the truth, no matter how blinding it may be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.